you're sweating. Another nightmare? No. Same one. Listen, we are in a boat off the coast of Espana, please. Espana. Mother country, right? My mother wouldn't even let me learn Spanish. Run away to the States, first chance she got. Well, now you're here. Full circle. Yeah. It's destiny. Let's say we've got a storm coming up. Brace yourself! Are you guys all right? Yeah. Yes! I think so. We're gonna have to take the raft into that town for help. Whoa! We need help! What kind of church is this? What the hell's going on here? You wanna tell me what's wrong with everybody in this town? I tell you a secret. No one leaves. Why are you trying to kill us? What are we doing? Who are you? I am here, waiting for you. We will leave for eternity. I don't have a choice, do I? It is your destiny. We are different mothers, but the same father. We are children of Dagon. Dagon! Ia! Ia! Castulu Fatagan! is uh, an adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft story, actually a couple of H.P. Lovecraft stories, by Stuart Gordon. Uh, the film uh, tells the story of two um, uh, young people on a, on a, a, a cruise uh, through the ocean that happen upon, uh, uh, via a shipwreck during a storm, uh, a small town in Spain called Imboca. And when they uh, uh, enter Imboca, uh, they discover that the denizen or the uh, residents of the town are really denizens and worshippers of an ancient sea god called Dagon, um, who uh, is himself or itself uh, a a denizen of a greater sea god named Cthulhu, um, and uh, madness and mayhem ensues. Um, and one of the characters uh, discovers that perhaps. It was his fate to stumble upon this town all along. Hello, and welcome back to Scream Addicts. I'm Jinx, your host, and that was Graham Skipper talking about Stuart Gordon's 2002 H.P. Lovecraft adaptation, Dagon. Mr. Skipper is an actor, writer, director known for originating the role of Herbert West in Stuart Gordon's Reanimator the Musical, appearing in the films Almost Human, The Mind's Eye, and Beyond the Gates, and for directing the film Sequence Break. Mr. Skipper, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really uh, appreciate being asked to come on here. Now, can I ask, as with every episode, out of any horror movie you might have chosen to discuss, any and all, why go with Dagon? You know, um, obviously, Stuart Gordon has been on my mind recently. You know, he passed away not long ago. um, And I always felt that uh, something about his filmography that that was sort of sorely overlooked. You know, everybody talks about Reanimator. They talk about From Beyond. Um, but but they don't always talk about some of his lesser known films, um, and I know that Stuart was always very proud of those, uh, and I think they're fucking awesome. Uh, so when you were asking me what movie I wanted to talk about, you know, one of those movies that really isn't discussed much at all uh, is his film Dagon, and it's not a movie without its problems, uh, but I would argue that it's one of, if not the most um, accurate uh, H.P. Lovecraft adaptations uh, that exists. Um, and I think he does a stellar job with it. Um, and I think it captures um, almost more than any other Lovecraft adaptation out there, 
the the uh the 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 full spectrum of lovecraft's um sort of pervasive aquatic mythology um that i think nobody else has really been able to touch and i think that stuart gordon and his longtime screenwriting partner dennis paoli uh really did a phenomenal job um of adapting these several works uh into the film dagon so i wanted to talk about it very cool. And, you know, it, it's a movie I remember all the way back in the late 90s during the heyday, uh, well, arguably the heyday of uh, Ain't It Cool News, when they would break these stories on movies that hadn't quite come out yet. And that was still relatively new. That was a that was a new thing to happen back in the uh, the mid to late 90s. Usually, at least as a film fan myself, I would have to wait until, you know, people talked about movies and magazines or something like that. You know, but the idea of being able to hop onto a website and hear about movies that never were or movies that were, you know, coming down the pike, you know, uh, was always just it was a super fun thing for teenage me who was just getting into movies at the time. And I remember one of the movies that I, I just couldn't wait to see was this adaptation of Shadow Over Innsmouth, which, uh, you know, they were always talking about on Ain't It Cool News. And I remember there was this one story where they posted concept art by Bernie Wrightson you know, for this uh, Stuart Gordon adaptation that for whatever reason hadn't happened by that point. Uh, you know, they had noted some troubles with it being made. And uh, so this was a movie that I was always, you know, just dying to see. I was a huge fan of Reanimator and From Beyond at that point. And, uh, you know, I was just getting into Lovecraft and it seemed like this might be the greatest movie ever made. Um, and then, you know, the movie eventually hit DVD in 2002. And I remember... Uh, I went to a Fangoria convention, I think it was August of 2002, just after the movie had come out, and uh, Stuart Gordon was there. And he was, uh, you know, kind of pushing the movie at the time, and I got to meet him, and he was the nicest guy. Uh, he uh, he signed my DVD copy, uh, Best Fishes, uh, and then yeah. his name. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I got to admit, um, when I first watched the movie, and this, you know, being a huge fan of his work, I, I, I got to admit, I was a little let down on my initial, you know, sort of watch of Dagon. There were things about it that didn't work for me that kept it from being the movie that, you know, I had always sort of imagined in my head. And, you know, so I appreciated the fact that you chose this movie so I could give it a rewatch. I haven't seen this movie in ages. It's possible I didn't watch. I haven't seen it since that, you know, initial viewing on DVD back in 2002. And, uh, you know, recently, obviously, I uh, I started upgrading some of my uh, my DVDs to Blu-rays. You know, I finally picked up Dolls. I finally picked up uh, uh, From Beyond, uh, which no excuse for not having that before. But, you know, I held on to my DVD for the longest time. And I picked up that Vestron copy of Dagon and gave it a rewatch. And it's still there. There are things that I appreciated back then, certainly things that I loved about it. And I found on this rewatch that I I appreciate them even more now. Uh, and then there's some things that still don't quite work for me. Uh, but I'm, I'm always open to having my mind changed about these things because, you know, <laughs> because I, I, I dearly want to love this movie. Uh, but it's not, it might be the movie that I appreciate the least out of his filmography. And I love a lot of his movies. Uh, even the ones that, you know, people don't, I mean, you know, you noted during your introduction, like, you know, there are some of his movies that people don't talk about enough. You know, uh, Edmund, I think, certainly is one. King of the Ants. Uh, you know, Stuck is a fantastic film. I think those three movies are brilliant. But for whatever reason, Dagon sort of holds me at arm's length, and I'm not entirely certain why. Uh, you know, I have a handful of issues with it, but, you know, I, I can't wait to dive in and see what you you love about it. And hopefully we can talk about, like, you know, the the great things about the movie as well. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, I hear you. Like, it's, it's, um, if I'm honest, like, it's not my favorite of his movies. Um, but again, you know, my, my choice is largely based on I wanted to talk about something that I think doesn't get enough love uh, for what it deserves. I think that, you know, Dagon's biggest problem for me <clears throat> is just the, the use of, of out of date late 90s CGI. Um, that unfortunately is not, it, it doesn't come across as sort of charming as like, I don't know, when I watch Peter Jackson's King Kong, like that CGI, even though it's dated and I can tell it's dated, it, there's something almost like charming about it. Um, I think in Dagon, it stands out a bit. Um, but what I tell people about this movie is I think that if you can get past that, like if you can just sort of overlook the CGI-ness of a few of those, and, and it's unfortunate that they're, you know, it's a lot of early scenes, like with the boat, um, you know, and then and then some like pivotal moments, like with, the tentacles at the end where it just sort of immediately takes you out of it that I think that had those things been done practically, I think that, um, I think that the overall view of the film would be a lot different in people's eyes. Um, I think it's an uneven movie. Uh, but you know, the thing that I like about Stuart Gordon's films uh, as a whole are that they are, uh, wholly entertaining. Um, and, and that they're not only entertaining, but that they, they, give a lot of love and focus to the characters and the actors um, as opposed to necessarily the spectacle. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Lovecraft. Uh, the Shadow Over Innsmouth is one of my favorite stories of his. And one thing that I love about this movie is that it really, I, I think, um, pretty masterfully captures the... Um, the 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 sense of of like growing dread and uncertainty that is that is pervasive in the town. Like when you read the story, of the Shadow Over Innsmouth, um, you know, which which of course is set in Innsmouth, which is why they called the Spanish town Imboca, which literally means inside in mouth. Um, so Imboca means um, that you know when you read the story. Uh, most of the story is him just sort of generally going, oh, and then that guy seemed to have like gills for a neck. Oh, and that guy seemed to be really sweaty and like, was he scaly? Um, you know, and, and that's sort of the build up to then, you know, the final sort of confrontation of all the townspeople running after him. What I think Stewart does really well in this is, is he, he presents these, you know, that, that sort of hidden menace um, in in such a way where where you buy it, you know, where like when he's checking into the hotel and you can tell that the guy has these like striations on his neck, but you're not immediately going, dude, it's a fish person. You're going, God, that's really weird. People in this town are weird. And he sort of takes you on that journey. Um, I can see why it wouldn't work for everybody because I can see that to a certain sensibility, I can see why that might come across as like even silly or something. Uh, but f for me, it works because I feel like I, I feel like he's doing what what Stewart always did best, which was take sort of B movie material and elevate it to something better than it should be. You know what I mean? 
No, absolutely. And I, I agree. You know, the CG, weirdly enough, doesn't bother me too much. It's, I, it's something that I just kind of accept in a way. I agree with you entirely. I think if some of those scenes have been realized with uh, practical effects, which we kind of expect, you know, from his filmography, you know, Reanimator and From Beyond have some amazing effects works in it. And, you know, so too does this one. Like, uh, you know, the... Uh, <laughs> The flaying sequence is incredibly well done. You know, there are a lot of great practical effects in this movie, too. And yet, you know, the bigger sequences, of course, are realized with, you know, CG that is kind of dodgy. But I I think, you know, on this rewatch, I just kind of turned a blind eye to that and, you know, let, let the movie sort of carry me away. And the one thing that I found that interrupted the... I, I agree with you entirely, by the way. The movie has this sense of ever growing dread you know that and you know the idea that these people are stuck in a town you know an entire town that's turning against them uh you know the fact that the entire town is a threat it's just you feel that screw getting tighter and tighter as the movie goes on and i love that but i think on this rewatch the thing that maybe bugged me the most about it was the fact that there seems to be an attempt at bringing in a bit of humor you know, in these very odd spots, it seems like, you know, there's this humor that seems to be born from like the character, you know, Paul and his situation that feels intentional, but it's kind of, it isn't campy at all. And, you know, he's never playing it for laughs, I don't think completely. And yet, you know, it is there and it's kind of muted in a way to the point where it does kind of undercut the horror for me, but it's also never very funny, you know? And I, I think that's part of the reason why the movie doesn't completely work for me. And it's strange for me too, because, you know, when you look back at Stuart Gordon's movies, I think he was so great at balancing that sort of tone in his other movies, you know, that perfect mix of horror and humor. Uh, You know, and I don't think Dagon would have been, you know, it's not reanimator. I think reanimator is certainly much funnier than, um, you know, and was intended to be than Dagon certainly. But I, I think that's part of the reason that, uh, again, the movie kind of keeps me at arm's length and it doesn't draw me completely in. And I wish it did. I want to be on this movie side. But, you know, there are these moments where it just, again, like I, I'm i thinking specifically, I think perhaps the first time I noticed it in the film on this rewatch was during the uh, the bathroom sequence, you know, that fight. Right, right. And that is a moment, the opening of that scene, you know, when you have the child running in and basically calling him out, that's terrifying. You know, he's found out. We know that this entire town is looking for him, essentially. And you have this young child who he's clearly not going to hurt. But nevertheless, you know, the the child is a beacon for everybody else to come running. And so that's terrifying. But then his reaction to the child is played a bit, you know, not quite slapsticky. But, you know, there's it's oddly lighthearted in a way. But then, you know, the uh, the deep one appears and it's a great shock moment. But then it turns to him getting like half drowned in a toilet, you know, which I think is meant to be, you know, at least somewhat amusing. Right. And I, I, I think that's the first moment in the movie where I realized that that's perhaps the thing that was bothering me the most about it. Yeah. I mean, I hear that. I, I think that I, I have a bit of a different reaction to that scene. I think that, um, you know, like you sort of mentioned, you know, it's, it's a bit of a misdirect, you know, the, the kind of lighthearted tone of, of trying to, you know, you have the scene that's scary, you know, and then you have this this sort of lighthearted reaction to it, and then we hit you with a deep one. Um, I, maybe it's just because I'm a big germaphobe, but the the toilet <laughs> dressing 
in no way struck me as funny. Uh, you know, it, it struck me as horrifying. Um, you know, but I think that, like, the thing with Stewart's work that I have always found to be so fascinating is that he... I don't want to put this. Is that he he tries stuff, you know? Um, like, I think that a lesser filmmaker would have taken the story of Shadow Over Ensmouth and made, like, a straight sort of dour horror film. And for better or worse, you know, Stuart and, and Dennis Paoli, you know, I think we're, we're trying some stuff and we're, we're trying some things that, that made, make this film to me feel, feel unique. Like, does this movie scare me? No, not necessarily. It doesn't entertain me. Absolutely. Um, and, and it, it doesn't entertain me in the same way as like reanimator or from beyond does. I don't think it's as good as either of those films. Um, but but in terms of of a piece of entertainment, which I think is what, you know, I, I think that that's and, and this isn't meaning to, uh, you know, I don't know, demean, you know, whatever Stuart was making or whatever. Like, I mean, this as a compliment. Like, I think that Stuart was ultimately, you know, trying to make pieces of entertainment, you know, things that that and, 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 and maybe by entertainment, that means, you know, a, a work that at the very least makes you think about it or that ruffles your feathers in some way, or that, that makes you, you know, that, that you remember after it's over. And like, to me, I think what I like about Dagon is I like that mishmash of tone, uh, because I think that it sets it apart from, from, you know, other Lovecraft adaptations like, that you might see. Like, like, um, you know, like when you read Lovecraft, it's also dour and it's all very serious. And it's certainly like, captivating and you know he's a brilliant author um but i think the reason why stewart's work you know why stewart is known as a lovecraft adapter is that he was able to take that and he was able to add this sort of sense of fun to it and so i think with with dagon uh what works for me and i totally get that it wouldn't work for everybody but what works for me uh is that it has that sense of fun to it uh slammed up against things like the horrifying facial flaying um, that is that is truly shocking and and truly, in my opinion, one of the best horror deaths of all time. Um, and I think that that's why this movie sort of resonates with me on a visceral level as being something, um, you know, that's that's more than just like a piece of uh, more than just a scary movie about fish people and and has has something more to say, whatever that is. And that sequence is utterly horrific and i agree with you that is watching it again too i don't think i had remembered that it was as disturbing as it is but you know with oh god the moment they bring the knife up and you know make the first cut it's like oh god i remember what this sequence is and then i had not remembered that it was as well done as it is you know it is truly horrifying like um and pulled off in a way that you know again going back to how uh, great some of the practical effects in the movie are like i i i i would put that up against anything else in his filmography as far as like how how well executed it is um and that's one of the great moments in the movie that entire sequence i think uh and there are moments you know i it sounds like i've been bashing the movie and i don't want to be that guy at all because there are things about it that i absolutely love that sequence being one um I think it's a beautifully made movie. Um, I think even though it's set on, you know, a little Spanish island, I, it does feel Lovecraftian in a way. 
uh, to me. You know, it feels like you're kind of steeped in that world quite a bit. Uh, the the finale uh, is really, really, really disturbing as well. Um, I the moment when Barbara is rescued by Paul. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's only been in the water for a moment. And I don't know, it, it feels like a rule is violated in a really great way. But when there is that hero's moment, when Paul finally, you know, he battles away all of the deep ones, you know, there's, you know, there's fire and there's fighting. And then, you know, he's, he's, he stops the, uh, the winch and cranks her back up into place. You're absolutely certain that she's fine. And then he gets close to her and you see that look in her eyes. And the first thing that she says is kill me. And it's just like, my God, like it's just heartbreaking, but completely disturbing at the same time too. And it's bone chilling. And I think it's probably one of the most, yeah, one of the most chilling sequences I think in all of his movies. And I love that moment for it. Uh, But, you know, I, I gotta say, I think out of the entire film, the, Flashback sequence where we get the origins of Mboka. You know, it's a, what? Maybe a 10-minute sequence. Uh, I think that's maybe one of the best Lovecraft adaptations ever committed to film. I think it nails the tone perhaps better than any other you know movie has. Uh, and it, it, it feels like it's pulled directly from the page, even though it may not be completely, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it... it... And a lot of it really is pulled from the page. I mean, like it's very um, uh, it's it's somehow they're able to take the sort of imagery that Lovecraft describes, uh, which I think a lot of directors, when you put it to film, it would come off as silly. But Stewart is able to take, you know, this idea of like starfish symbology and, uh, you know, weird, you know, inexplicable gold medallions and stuff like that and somehow imbue it with the horror of and and this is to a degree i think like christian horror you know of like sort of the pagan gods getting power again um and and somehow he's able to make that a thing that in my opinion you really feel you know and like talking about that twist at the end like the fact that we know that Paul's journey, in, in our minds, Paul's journey is he's got to save this girl. You know, that's that's what the journey is. He's going to save the girl. And when she says, kill me, and then we see him accept his ultimate fate and accept who he really is, and sort of the whole movie gets turned on its head, um, I think that's just such a great example of Stuart taking convention an expectation and twisting it on itself. Um, that, that is something that I really love about this film and which, which again, you know, I think that, that any other movie called Dagon or called, you know, the call of Cthulhu or called, you know, the shadow over Innsmouth, like I think wouldn't have been quite so bold as to do that. Um, and Stuart was, uh, and and I think it's super effective for that reason. You know, it's I, I consider the end of this movie to be really pretty pretty beautiful. You know, it's a a weirdly happy ending. You know, like you brought up Edmund before. Like Edmund, I consider to have a pretty happy ending, although it's twisted and weird. Like Edmund found where he was supposed to be, 
and I think in this, you know, Paul finds where he's supposed to be. Um, and and that to me is such a sort of beautiful completion of an arc that that you 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 don't find in in a lot of horror filmmaking. Um, it's not the easy choice to make, uh, but Stewart always chose the less easy route. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why I really appreciate this movie. Yeah, and I do love that ending for that. It is how he's able to switch gears so quickly uh, and wordlessly. I think, you know, in the final, what, minute and a half, two minutes, we have an ending that's, you know, goes from being heartbreaking and disturbing to, you know, having the feeling that our hero is utterly defeated. You know, he he commits suicide, or at least we think he's going to. And then to switch from that so effortlessly to an ending that feels kind of triumphant in a way, you know, like that's, um, you know, you mentioned Edmund, which I think is perfect. You know, weirdly enough, watching this movie again, I I was reminded of the witch uh, in a way, you know, you have a lead character who, you know, we're on their side. And at the end we leave them, you know, where, where they're meant to be, as you noted, you know, they're happy. And yet, you know, there is also kind of the feeling underneath that, that in a way they've also been, they've been damned in a way too, which is, you know, to have those two thoughts concurrently, you know, Hey, everything worked out for them, but also they might've lost their soul. You know, it's such a weird, but has he lost his soul? See, that's the thing that sticks with me is, is from our perspective. Yes, he's lost his soul. It's horrible. But I mean, for him, he's about to live forever and he's going to be a King in this town. When before, what was he, you know, he was some college student. You know, some unremarkable college student that couldn't even figure out how to use the oar in a rowboat. And, <laughs> you know, and now he's going to be a king. Like, and that to me is, I think the point is like, is is playing with that expectation and, and uh, allowing this character that, that this whole time we thought his heroism and his, his power was going to lie in his ability to overcome his own weaknesses, you know, like he's scared, he's kind of fumbling. Uh, he's not that great at anything. He's sort of on the run the whole time. And so we think, well, he's going to save the girl and that's going to be that. And no, he's, he's, he doesn't even save the girl. What he discovers is, Oh, I am actually, I am the King of all of this. And, and I'm going to, and, and, I mean, you know, again, he's consumed in flame when he goes into the water. You know, he's he's dead and totally reborn as as this new creature. And he's completely starting over. You know, he's he's completely being reborn and and is about to go and meet like literally meet God. And and like that's that's the extra, you know, like Stuart always loved there's a phrase he always loved and it was more is more. And I feel like the ending of Dagon you know, like like a lesser filmmaker would have said, well, have him save the girl. It's great. That's it. That's the end. And where Stuart goes, no, more is more. Like, let's have him literally become king and die and be transformed and meet his god. Like, holy shit, you know? And when you think of the implications of that, that to me just puts this movie on a whole other level. Um. You know, and and yeah, some of the stuff is uneven, you know, throughout the film and and some of the stuff is 
is not as you know traditionally scary as as maybe it could be and and as as maybe I wanted it to be but um that character arc for me is like so fucking powerful and cool that it uh it stands above all that uh for for me you know he's kind of a fascinating character too in that you know even from the opening scene i think there's this moment where barbara you know, uh, she notes at one point that he is somewhat limited in how, you know, he approaches life. He's very binary in his thinking. You know, there's that recurring bit where he always notes, you know, there are two possibilities. And, you know, at the end, you know, before he sets himself on fire, he notes that there are no possibilities, even though another possibility awaits him, you know, becoming a deep one, becoming that god, swimming off with Usha, which ultimately, though, makes it seem like he never had a choice. And I was wondering what you made of that. Uh, did, do you think Paul had any sort of free will within the world of this story? Or do you think he was always fated for this? And if it's a latter, you know, <laughs> it occurred to me on this watch, it's almost as though the universe is mocking Paul's need to constantly point out, you know, the possibilities, the choices in front of them, you know, when they never really mattered, I don't think. <clears throat> well, I think that's exactly it. I think that he, I think the point of this movie is that he he didn't ever actually have a choice. There was no choice. Um, and I think that's the sense that that you get from Lovecraft's work in general is that none of us have choices and we're all fated for doom and death or fated for whatever the gods decide for us. Um, you know, it's a fairly nihilistic viewpoint. But that's why I think it's such a good Lovecraft adaptation is that I think it, it embodies that perfectly. I mean, like you said, he's constantly, uh, you know, talking about, you know, this binary choice system that he abides by, you know, and he's, he's, uh, you know, trying to figure out like what it is he wants to do with his life. Um, and at the end of the day, in fact, at the end of literally at the end of a day, I think this all happens over the course of a day, not that I think about it, um, that at the end of a day, you know, he's, there was no point to any of that, that he was always destined for this thing. And and he was always destined to be who he needs to be. And even when he effectively tries to die, um, fate won't allow him to. Because he's supposed to be this thing, whatever that is. And there's something equally sort of nihilistic and empowering in that. That, you know, he's inevitably you know at at the end of all this going to be far more powerful than he could ever have been as a human and i think that we're we're to infer that he's going to be uh infinitely more happy now than he ever was as a human um and uh, you know i don't know that necessarily Stuart had a an, an overarching uh point to make about about you know the power of of uh fate or whatever uh but i think that in terms of a character arc i think that's significant and i think that it's 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 you know again like we go back to edmund i think it's it's essentially the same thing that we saw there of you know someone who who was searching for for where he was supposed to be and found it and and i think that paul in dagon is is also searching for something that he's searching to be the person that he's supposed to be. And then he finds that he's not supposed to be a person at all. Yeah, and it is. I mean, and it does stay true to the story in that, you know, I, I, 
that lead character is somewhat happy at the end of the shadow over Innsmouth, uh, knowing what he's going to become as well. So yeah, I think you're right. I, I, you know, if the movie had had a traditional ending and Paul had saved the girl and, you know, had what, <laughs> you know, headed off into the sunset, yeah, uh, which I don't ridden I, off the, in a boat on the, into the sunset. Yeah. It would have been yeah. so like disappointing. I don't even think does the sun even shine in Mboka, I wonder. I, I don't think this we see the sunlight once except the I don't think we do that. So yeah, but no, I, I, I do love that character and I do love where he winds up and it is kind of you know, it it is a fascinating place to leave a lead character in a movie like this, I think. And it's, it's certainly unexpected. Um, you know, it's funny we're mentioning well, I mentioned the uh sun shining in Mboka, and I was wondering what your thoughts were on the film being transplanted to the Spanish town of Mboka, as opposed to it taking place in New England. You know, does that make it less scary to you, more scary, the fact that they've gone off to a distant land, as it were, and they find themselves wrapped up in the story? Or is it scarier to imagine that, you know, the those monsters are just off our shores? Or did it matter to you at all, the fact that the, the film was not set in the, uh, you know, the usual sort of stomping grounds of Lovecraft, as it were? You know, I think it actually achieves something uh, a little closer to Lovecraft uh, than people give it credit for, because I think that like when Lovecraft was writing about going into the hills of New England and discovering these small towns, I mean, to him, that might as well have been as far away as Spain, you know? Um, he 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 didn't like to leave Providence. Uh, he, you know, the furthest away he went was to New York, to Brooklyn, where he lived briefly and had a horrible time and immediately went back to Providence, Rhode Island. Um, you know, he was a, a huge xenophobe. And so I think that that really it kind of, doesn't matter where it's set because the, the the horror is in the the foreign nature of it you know like to to lovecraft himself i think going into the you know the hills of new england and meeting some you know weird uh uh you know some 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 weird town of of hillbillies uh would have been as foreign and as terrifying to him as a town on the coast of spain um and and so I think that set modern day as Dagon is, um, if you if you were to have set it in some small New England town, some you know set it in like creepy Martha's Vineyard or whatever, um, it I don't think it would have had the same impact because I think people would be thinking, well, why don't you just drive a couple hours down the road and get help? Um, but there's something about being in a foreign country not being able to speak the language um, and, and being in an unfamiliar place uh, with, with perhaps different customs that you aren't used to um, that, that invokes the same sense of inherent xenophobic fear uh, that Lovecraft had uh, with, with the shadow over Innsmouth. And I do love it for that. It reminds me to ask, I was wondering how Dagon, you mentioned you're a Lovecraft fan. How does it stack up for you against other, I won't even say Lovecraft adaptations, but say Lovecraft films, not only movies that are directly influenced by the man or direct adaptations, but movies that, you know, I'm thinking of something like, uh, if we can include it, um, uh, In the Mouth of Madness, you know, something or The Last Wave, movies that have that Lovecraftian feel that's so rare. I think, you know, uh, very few filmmakers seem to be able to nail that when they adapt his work or attempt something like that. And I was wondering how Dagon stacks up for you against movies like that. And what some of your other favorite Lovecraft type films uh, that you count as your favorites? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, In the Mouth of Madness is actually a great sort of uh, uh, reference point here. I, I think that Dagon for me stands out because it's a pretty, you know, aside from the fact that it's set in Spain, it's a pretty literal adaptation. Like it's it it pretty specifically is adapting in uh, Shadow over Innsmouth, The Call of Cthulhu, and Dagon. You know, it's taking those three stories and that mythology, and it's slamming them together. Um, uh, you know, but obviously it's mainly Shadow over Innsmouth. I think that what I like about it and what stands out to me about it is that if you, like, read the story and watch the film, they they mirror each other in a pretty significant way. Um, whereas, like, if you watch Reanimator and read the story, the film is pretty different from the story. Um, you know, it's it's just as good, if not better, than the story is, in my opinion. But it's it's a a different adaptation, you know, from beyond, same with from beyond, you know, they take the, you know, Stuart takes the root of the story and, and then makes it his own in the mouth of madness is certainly Lovecraftian, uh, but it's not based on any specific story, you know? So when you look at Dagon, I think that that's the thing that really sets it apart is that it is an adaptation of these stories and we are transplanting them to the screen now, I think the same thing could be said about the Colorado Space, the Richard Stanley film that just came out, uh, which I think is fantastic um, and I think is a really, really great Lovecraft film. Um, but I think that, that you know, D- Dagon, Stewart is able to take the idea of, like fish, be- like, fish people and evil fish cult gods seriously enough um, to to horrify us. And at the same time, uh, make the film fun enough that we don't linger on it too much, and it it and and we allow it to like wash over us as we watch it. You know what I mean? Um, I think to your second point of your question, the adaptations that I love. I mean, I've already sort of talked about them. I mean, Reanimator and From Beyond are uh, uh, phenomenal Lovecraft adaptations, even if they're not super faithful to the stories. Um, I think that uh, Stewart's film Castle Freak, uh, which is a loose adaptation of his of the Lovecraft story, The Outsider, uh, is really very good. Um, I think Richard Stanley's The Color Out of Space uh, is phenomenal. Uh, I was blown away by it. Uh, it's my favorite Lovecraft story, and uh, I thought that he did a really spectacular job of adapting it. Um, and and then, you know, to to just talk about one more. Um, gosh, I mean, I I. I'm sure I'm leaving some out, but I mean, there, there was a, a really great German film called Die Farbe, the farm, uh, which also was a, an adaptation of the Colorado space from a few years ago. Um, I thought they did a really great job uh, of, of, you know, building the sort of morose dread of that story. But again, this is why I go back to the power of Stewart's films is that Stewart sort of eliminated the, the, the kind of, uh, energy sapping dread of those movies and no matter what he did with his adaptations they were always exciting and entertaining and kept you watching um and i think that's another thing that helps dagon stand apart for me um is that you know it it never gets dreary it gets scary it gets weird it gets wacky but it never gets dreary um and I think that that's a good thing. No, I agree entirely. And I love his, you know, sort of Lovecraft cycle 
the films that he did. You know, we have, uh, of course, Reanimator. We have From Beyond. We have uh, Castle Freak, and we have Dagon. I'm wondering, you know, the <laughs> when we look at his films, you know, uh, or at least the Lovecraft films with Reanimator, we have uh, we have Jeffrey Combs and we have Barbara Crampton, and you know that cast carries over from film to film until we get to Dagon. When I watched this film again, I, I definitely noted it on the first time that I saw it ages ago. But watching it again, Ezra Godden, who is good, I, I like him quite a bit. But it does feel like that is the Jeffrey Combs role <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a strange way. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering if that was ever the intention back when the movie was intended to be made back in the 90s. I've never read anything of the sort, but I, I'm wondering in some alternate universe if there is a version of this that was made in 95 or 96 with uh, – you know, uh, Mr. Combs and Ms. Crampton, you know, because I imagine it would almost feel like more of a piece with his earlier Lovecraft films as well, if that had been the case. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had the same thought and it would not surprise me at all. I mean, for, you know, for crying out loud, her name is Barbara in the movie. You know? <laughs> um, I, 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 I do not, you know, know this for a fact or anything from talking to Stuart, but I mean, I would, I, I can totally see that being a Stuart thing of, of going like, well, I'm going to write these roles you know, as if I'm writing for Jeff and Barbara, uh, but they're they're too old now to play these roles. These are supposed to, you know supposed to be college students, and and so I'm going to you know pay homage by calling her Barbara, um, and and you know cultivate new talent. Um, that was always a thing that Stewart did really really well, and and what he always had as as a, a mission you know for himself, I I think uh, was to cultivate new talent. And so I think, you know, in, in finding Ezra Godden, uh, who I, I think is very, very good in this movie, um, you know, I think that that was, you know, certainly his intention, um, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think there's an alternate universe where I, I mean, had he made this, you know, directly after From Beyond, you know, had he done Reanimator From Beyond and then immediately Dagon, of course it would have been Barbara and Jeffrey, um, you know, but he didn't. And so I think that he, uh, uh, I think he cast it appropriately. And I do love, I mean, that he did work with the same actors in, you know, various types of roles. You know, we were talking about Ezra Godden. I mean, I love his adaptation of uh, Dreams in the Witch House, the Masters of Horror episode. I think that's one of my favorite things that he's ever done, uh, that episode. So, uh, but yeah, again, you know, watching, I'm just like, you know, this has been made in like the 80s or 90s. Is this the Jeffrey Combs role? But, you know, after he had already done Dagon, it's like, well, no, this is Ezra, Ezra Godden's role. You know, he 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 definitely deserves his own place now in Mr. Uh, Gordon's filmography, I think. So, uh, but I love that one as well. And as far as, you know, great Lovecraft adaptations, I got to ask, uh, have you seen Necronomicon? The, uh, the Brian Hughes the- film. Yes, of course. I love that movie and nobody talks about it. Um which, you know, understandably so, I think its availability has been somewhat limited over the years. But, you know, it's I I don't know that it's as you know, as successful as some of the other, you know, certainly Mr. Gordon's films, but I I do love Brian Houston's stuff as well. And Necronomicon, I think, is kind of like this underrated gem that's out there as far as, you know, not only you know, Lovecraft adaptations, but also, you know, it's a gem and used in this filmography, I think, that people don't talk about nearly enough. And, um, you know, it's one of the few movies that I can think of that actually features an appearance by Cthulhu. Uh, but I was going to ask your opinion on that, what you thought of that movie overall. Oh, I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I agree. I think it's people don't talk about it. I think a huge part of that is that it's just kind of hard to find. Um, but uh, I know that they did, gosh, they I think they did a screening in the past couple of years 
And then I think before all this pandemic craziness was going to happen that I had heard rumors of another screening of it um, in L.A., but I'm, that might be wrong. Um, yeah, I think it's great. Um, I think it's fantastic. Uh, there is another film called The Call of Cthulhu um, that is a bit more of a low-budget affair, but I think it's great. There's also a film simply called Cthulhu. Uh, I have with, seen that one. Yeah. Toy Spelling, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sort of like indie one about like coming out. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting film. It is really interesting. Um, I think using like sort of cosmic horror as a backdrop for a personal story is is uh, is an interesting way to, to approach uh, Lovecraft. Um, yeah, uh, I love all that stuff. But yeah, Necronomicon, I mean, if you can find it, seek it out. Uh, it's it's really great. And I mean, Brian Usna is a, a you know, as gonzo a filmmaker as they come. And he certainly was uh, extremely influential in the career of Stuart Gordon. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I did want to take a second to, to just discuss Mr. Gordon himself. And I was going to ask, you know, uh, of all of his films, do you have a favorite that stands out or I guess maybe I should ask first, what was your first, uh, experience with his work? Uh, what was the first movie of his that you ever caught? The first film I ever saw of his was certainly reanimator. Um, and it would have been probably in high school, like at an uh, like a sleepover, you know, where we had sort of heard that that was one of the movies, you know, that you should see if you want to be a horror fan, because um, we were all desperately trying to be cool kids and watch all the horror movies. Um, and I just remember about Reanimator that the main thing that stuck with me was how shocked I was that I cared about the characters, you know, like you like you watch all the Friday the 13th or you watch all the Halloweens, you know, or, or you watch like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And although you care, I don't want to say you don't care about the characters in those movies, but it's a different sensation when you're watching reanimator. Um, because I think that the, the horror is intrinsically tied to the emotional life of the characters that are encountering it. And so I think that it, as you're watching it, especially as a, kid you know that's like used to okay well when's the headless guy gonna come and chop everybody up that that you're just sort of shocked by how drawn into the whole thing you are um you know and and uh, uh so, so yeah reanimator was the first one i ever saw um it's hard to say what is my favorite of his movies or what i think is the best of his movies I think that probably from beyond is his best movie. Um, I think it's the, the sort of most realized and tightest of them. Um, you know, it's not so much hindered by, by budget like reanimator is. Um, I don't know. I, I go back and forth. I think from beyond a reanimator, you know, sort of often vie for my top spot, my personal favorite of his movies. Um, I mean, that changes all the time. And like I said, I, I, I think the man didn't have a single dud in his filmography, which is extremely rare. I mean, I, I honestly can't think of another director aside from like Stanley Kubrick who didn't have a single movie that I didn't enjoy. Um, but I, I, I really love, there's a Disney film that Stewart made uh, called The Wonderful Ice Cream Suit, uh, which is an adaptation of a Ray Bradbury story that Stewart developed with Bradbury. Um, and I, it's such a delightful picture. Uh, it's, it's such a fun movie. Um, and, uh, you know, it stars 
Joe Montaigne and Isai Morales and Edward James Olmos. Um, and uh, 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 Sid Caesar makes an appearance. Um, and it's just a really magical uh, uh, Latino musical uh, about a magic suit um, that that he made uh, in the 90s. Um, and that's sort of the one movie of his that, like, especially after he passed away, when I wanted to think about him and I wanted to put on something that he made, that was the first one that I went to uh, because it just makes you feel good. And I think that that was an aspect of Stuart that a lot of people, especially in the horror community, um, don't really know or don't recognize as much as perhaps they should, uh, is that he had all these different flavors to him artistically. Um, And so, you know, right, right now today, I think the wonderful ice cream suit might be my favorite of his movies. Um, But, you know, as far as horror goes, you know, it's undeniable that, that he uh, uh, was able to find um, some truly bonkers way to make us scared. And I think we should all be grateful for that. I love the wonderful ice cream suit. I haven't seen it in ages. I don't even know what its availability is like, but I remember, I don't know if it premiered on maybe VHS or maybe even television at first, but um, I remember when I first caught it, I absolutely loved it. And I, I knew that it was a, a film from Mr. Gordon. That's why I was watching it in the first place. And I remember watching it thinking, wow, this is not what I expect from this filmmaker. And yet I absolutely adore this movie. And I, I felt that about some of his movies, like um, Space Truckers, I think is fantastic. 100%. Love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and again, like the, his his later movies, I think King of the Ants is great. Uh, Edmund is one right. of his. Stuck is fantastic i will admit you know it's funny uh you know i've wanted to revisit all of his movies here recently of course and it occurred to me please please don't hang up uh and to listeners out there please do not shout obscenities but um i don't know how i've missed this movie over the years but out of all of his films that occurred to me i've seen them all with the exception of robot jocks I have oh. not seen Robot Jocks yet, and I don't know why. It's it's just a movie that's continually eluded me. I've never gotten around to watching it for whatever reason. And then when I started, you know, upgrading some of my DVDs to Blu-rays, it occurred to me that um, apparently Robot Jocks had hit Blu-ray not that long ago from Screen Factory, but it is now currently out of print. So it's uh, I know it's super expensive. It's very sad. Um, yeah, I, I was lucky enough that so back in 2016 or thereabouts, uh, there was a theater here in LA that that did a screening of Robot Jocks, and that actually was my first time seeing it. Um, I had actually never seen it before either. Um, it's it's one of my favorite Stuart Gordon movies. Uh, it's it's like right up there with Wonderful Ice Cream Suit in terms of being a movie that I could literally watch on a loop endlessly. Um, it's it's so much fun. Uh, it's just pure fun. Uh, the stop motion animation like rivals RoboCop, like it's, it's phenomenal. Um, there's a, 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 an evil Soviet chainsaw dick. Like what more could you want in the film? Um, Wait, I'm sorry. I, I need an explanation on that. There, there, there's a what? An evil Soviet chainsaw dick. What more explanation do you need? I, I, I feel like I need either no more explanation or all the explanation in the world. I, I don't know which at this moment. Yeah. I, I, the, the, uh, the, 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 the brief version is that the Soviet, um, mech that is controlled that is fighting uh that that one of his power moves that he reveals at the end spoiler alert is that he he has a a chainsaw hidden in his crotch that he comes at the heroes with sold all right how the hell have i not seen this movie already it's Uh, it's so good and and you're right like it's so criminally hard to find and 
I'm very lucky that I, I own the Blu-ray, which I bought back when it first came out because, yeah, it's out of print and it's very expensive to buy and you can't find it to stream anywhere. Um, which sort of take that. it for granted that Scream Factory will keep everything in print. And then when I started, you know, I, I adore dolls, um, which is another movie. If I'm being honest, I was introduced to about three or four years ago. Shout out to Zena Dixon. Thank you so much. Um, but she had passed along that movie and that was like one of these hidden films in his filmography to me anyway. And I watched it and it's like, this is, this is, I'm a puppet master fan, but this, that is like the movie that I want every puppet master movie to be. Um, I, I adore it. And so when I, when I started upgrading, I, I did splurge for that one, which is also out of print and ridiculously expensive. But, uh, yeah, when I realized I, well, I mean, it's, it's not as bad as some titles that I've, I've shelled out for, but I mean, I paid 60 bucks for the Blu-ray when, you know, I remember seeing it at my local FYE up North, maybe three years ago for 15 bucks. So, you know, I just, I take it as that's, that's my fault. That's, that's a lesson learned. You know, I shouldn't wait on certain titles before I pick them up because, you know, Scream Factory will let certain things go out of print and then I have to drop 80 bucks for Robot Jocks, apparently, if I'm going to watch it. <laughs> yeah, <sighs> it's, uh, you know, the, all the, the sort of, you know, me- mechanics of, of how films come out and everything are so complex and, you know, it's definitely disappointing to see that, that's, you know, a lot of his films are difficult to find, but um you know it's just it's it's just so cool now that people are you know taking time to to revisit his work and reevaluate it and sort of look at his body of work as a whole i mean like what people like don't remember is like the man conceived of and wrote honey i shrunk the kids like like that was his movie you know and and people people sort of forget that you know they talk about reanimator reanimator from beyond from beyond you know, and it's like, no, look at the whole of, of his filmography and and everything that he contributed to to, uh, you know, to entertainment. I mean, he did the um, the Universal Aliens ride like aliens, you know, had like a, a, a video that played during their like audience participation ride section of their aliens ride. Stewart directed that. What? You know? Yeah. You're like, kidding. Yeah. Like like uh, if you ever did Honey, I Shrunk the Audience at Disney. Stewart directed that. Like, can these you know, be found online anywhere? Can you watch these outside of the aliens? I know the aliens one. You can. Jesse Merlin just posted it. I haven't found Honey I Shrunk the Audience, but I honestly haven't looked that hard for it. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the sort of stuff you know. And of course, he had a long career in the theater, where he was doing really, um, uh, uh, really individual and powerful. Uh, and and seminal work in the Chicago theater scene in the 60s, um, 60s and 70s, you know, before doing Reanimator. Like, the man really had a, a, a really powerful impact. Um, and so I'm glad that now people are are starting to sort of recognize that, and it's very sad that, of course, it's after his passing. Um, but but uh, I'm just glad that, you know, he... he I'll tell a story is that when, when we were doing Reanimator the musical together, um, we would often, uh, you know when we were doing two show days, we'd do a show at like seven and then we would have like a two hour break. And then we'd do a show at like midnight or whatever it was. And, uh, I remember one night, you know, we were doing what we always did and hanging out in the green room between shows. And we would always order a, a pizza and the whole cast was sitting there and Stuart walked in and he had his personal VHS copy of dolls. And, and, there was a TV, like one of those old TVs you'd see, like 
in a science classroom growing up um, with a, a built-in VCR. And and he he walked in with his VHS of dolls and he said, you know, he said, I don't know how many of you guys have seen this, but I've always liked this movie and not a lot of people talk about it. So I wanted to know if you wanted to watch it with me tonight. And so he said, of course. And, and so the first time that I ever saw dolls was sitting with Stuart Gordon with his personal copy, watching it on VHS in between shows of a show that he was directing. And he gave us running commentary the whole time. Um, but the thing about it was, was that he always really loved the film and he loved the work that went into the film and he wanted it appreciated. Um, and, and I think that that would extend to all of his work. So what I would say to everybody listening to this is just, you know, really take the time to seek out all the films of his that you can and, and try to, you know, like just watch all of them. They're all good. They're all entertaining and they're all totally different from one another. Um, and I think there's very few directors that you can say that about. Okay. I cannot think of a better place to wrap up than there, sir. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I wanted to ask where can folks find you at online and uh, what can we keep an eye out for from you in the future? Um, thank you so much for having me on. It's been great to talk to you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Graham Skipper. Um, uh, G-R-A-H-A-M Skipper and um, gosh you know with the world being what it is right now uh, who knows where one can find me uh, I've, I've started a, a business called the Rated R Horror Speakeasy which is a, a South uh, Southern California centric um, uh, uh, horror themed pop-up bar um, but obviously with, with public gatherings being what they are right now uh, that's sort of on pause uh, until until things are safe again. Um, I uh, acted in a film called Mystery Spot uh, that is in post right now. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to when that gets unleashed upon the world. It's really fun. Um, and, and if you want to check out the film that I wrote and directed, uh, which which I'm, I'm eternally grateful that uh, Stuart himself uh, came and saw a, 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 a screening of at my home and gave me notes, um, a sequence break. It's on Shutter right now. Um, and if you're not a subscriber to Shutter, one, you should be. And two, even if you're not, uh, you can rent it on VOD platforms. Um, so that's where I can, uh, that's where you can find me. Come, come find me on Twitter and tell me how you like his movies. All right, sir. Thank you again. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and, uh, and everybody stay safe and healthy out there. All right, and thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below, and give us a yell on Facebook or Twitter. That's at Screamatics, and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend.